everybody. Welcome back to the Frontend Coffee Break, the podcast where we take a break and chat about frontend technology. Here as well, Chucho Castaneda. How are you in this fine day? Hello, Ricardo. All good. I am enjoying a little bit of coffee in a cup that has been. Uh, I've been called out on using my Christmas cup still. Uh, even though it's not Christmas, I don't but, care. I but it's it. Christmas somewhere, right? In some timeline, in, in some multiverse, uh, there's probably Christmas at, at the same moment. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Have you, how about you, Ricardo? <laughs> I am doing very good recording today. It, it's fun. And the topic for today is very interesting. Um, we're going to try something different uh, in this episode, episode 16. We're going to react to uh, Rich Harris's video uh, where he talks about the web, frameworks, the edge, uh, he published this um, video a couple of weeks ago, back in April, on a Svelte meetup in New York. And, and we thought that we could just react to his hot takes on, on some of the topics. We, we have opinions and we have also our takes and we mm. want to share our opinions. And hopefully if, if Mr. Harris listens to this, he can <laughs> oh, yeah. leave a comment maybe or, or not. Um, and it's fun because you, you, Chucho, you play with his product day in, day out, right? Yes, I. It's Velt's one of the frameworks out there that I like, and I'm gonna make a pun about the reacting. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be rea reacting, angularing, or svelting. Whoa! <laughs> we're gonna okay. view. We're gonna we viewed the video and we react. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Giving um, our own angle to it. <laughs> time, time to time to exit out. I'll see you next week. Sorry. Yes, for those who don't know, Rich Harris <laughs> is the creator of Svelte. And, and yeah, we, we like Svelte. Svelte is fine. So I think the, the first topic that he presents on the video is, is, is this. He <laughs> says, your framework is fine. In the context that, uh, as you mentioned, there's Vue, there's React, there's Angular, there's many things out there. And the, probably your chosen framework doesn't make much different. That's what he says, uh, that we shouldn't take, uh, like, too much like uh, effort in checking. Okay, how many kilobytes am I, am I delivering to the user? How many milliseconds am I saving? Because mm -hmm. we we all know the, those metrics about Amazon, where if they save hundred milliseconds, they make whatever millions. That's his argument, right? Uh, what's, your, what's your take on it, Chucha? Well, um, just to clear this out, yeah, the the, the argument is, is that people say that oh, the website is low because of the framework, right? And that's is like okay. In he says that that is not true, and and, and I agree. I agree that the, that it's not the fault of the the framework. Um, I think that um, the reason that that this happens is because of other additional things that are happening inside the website. I love the the way that he sees it. Like it's not the, the it's not the framework's fault, but rather the business model or the economy model or whatever model that we live in that we serve for. I used to work on a project that was fast, like really fast. If you look at the web score, it it was almost 100%. And it was a, complete, a complex website. And it was the one that we were using different techniques to try to make it as fast as possible, deliver CSS delivery techniques, JavaScript. At one point, we, we thought about, okay, maybe we can break out the JavaScript in several different files. We decided against it, but it was fast. But when you saw it in action, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't fast, and it was uh, the score wasn't as good. And you wondered why this was. And it was not because of the way that we used it, um, the, the way that we built it. It was because of the, all the additional things that we had to add and support. Like, for example, um, just uh, analytics, which doesn't add a lot, but it does 
make the website a little bit uh, less faster and personalization you know personalization is 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 horrible in the sense it's super nice for the users that they give them a personalized um experience without needing the the having the need to log in you know because that's the easiest way and that that doesn't enter it but it, it gives you the the uh, very personalized user experience but it can make the website slow totally man um it's hard for us in the enterprise world to fight against analytics and personalization because of course clients they want to monetize the websites they want to know how they're ads are doing or how the offers are doing and they need to actually you know know about the stuff and usually in the, the default go-to scenario is okay adobe analytics or google analytics and those are very like heavy right when you load them on the page mm-hmm. sure there are newer tools or ways to load it but it eventually you do whatever you do as a front end and then on top of that you load a bunch of other stuff that makes the web slower um i sort of agree back going back to the to the framework decision mm-hmm. um in the end it's probably the developer or the team who maybe doesn't do a great job of optimizing the application based on the on, on the framework. Sure, yes, a vanilla React or vanilla Vue or vanilla Svelte, it has different weight. Yes, mm. agreed. But when it comes to when you already have a bunch of components and all the, uh, all the things, it probably it's not, not, not uh, such a big difference. What it matters most is how you do it, how you build it, how you deliver it to the user, and all those things, right? So, so yeah. Uh, in the end, um, I'm more of a when it comes to framework decisioning. Um, if you're a tech lead or an architect. In the end, you got to take into consideration more stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. what are you building? What are the requirements? How is your team? Who's going to maintain this? Right? I mean, is, is your team proficient in Angular? Then you shouldn't look any further. I mean, just just go with Angular, right? Mm-hmm. Or if your team just no view, what, why change? So, so yeah, yeah. It's... And as you say, sometimes it's not about the tool that you use, but how you use it. Sometimes, you know, um, if you're building a very simple website that maybe it's just links. To between I don't know articles and such, you really don't need something like Angular or you don't need a framework. But there's people that, by default, learn to to create websites through using frameworks, and that's where they go to. They like, oh, I know this tool, I'm going to use it, and that does make the websites. Uh, that could be a problem, but the problem is not the frame framework, but people using the framework when they shouldn't be using it. For example, so nice that you mentioned that um, people. If you're just building a Simple website, maybe you don't need JavaScript at all. So the next point on, on his video is mm-hmm. zero kilobytes JS is not a goal. So meaning that we shouldn't aim for delivering no JavaScript to the end user. Um, but again, all frameworks or all tools that we use nowadays, they deliver some default JavaScript per minimum stuff, right? Yes. And this is something that that, that I don't, don't agree completely. But uh, what do you think about this? Do you think that it, we should go aim for a zero kilobyte uh, world or not? I mean, we have to be real. So usually, at least what, what we do at content-centric, it's just not possible, right? We, we don't build like static websites with just text and three images. Usually, mm-hmm. we have uh, websites that have user interaction, uh, complex forms, uh, web applications in general, where you need to log in, you need uh, API calls, and then definitely those need JavaScript. I mean, and and trying to to go to, to zero JavaScript, sure. I mean, I do that on my side project when it's just you know presentation, it's just an HTML page, no JavaScript, and I'm super happy. But for for mid-sized uh, web applications, it's just just impossible. Right? But I mean, and and sometimes it, I I think that we should aim um, not to zero web uh, zero JavaScript, but we should. Do, do, um, aim to try to deliver as less JavaScript as possible, not because of uh, trying to to figure out how to avoid it, 
but just because it's a good practice, it, it, it makes it a better experience for the user. And sometimes there's JavaScript that you might not need at one given moment. And it also depends a lot on the type of, uh, of website that, once again, that you're trying to build. Um, there's a lot of frameworks out there, for example, or techniques that use very little JavaScript and um, that you can use if, depending on, on if, it's, if it makes sense. And some, sometimes they do. And then there are others um, that uh, other websites that need heavy, that rely heavily in JavaScript, and it's fine. You don't need to make a website that it's uh, completely resilient. Although, as we've uh, discussed previously, it does make if you try to aim for a, for example, a progressive enhancement uh, approach, it does help you build more resilient websites, and it does, I think, it does reduce the amount of, of JavaScript in the end that you that you deliver. Nice, I, nice, nice plug to episode 15, progressive <laughs> enhancement. I do think that there are websites that should be made, uh, that should work without JavaScript, especially those that the functionality is quite simple and that the JavaScript should enhance it. I mean, I do believe this, but I don't think that we should worry too much about, oh, it has to, we, we should make it work 100% without JavaScript. It's like, it's nice, but at least you should, depending on the website, you should try to make it available without JavaScript. But I mean... I don't think it's 100%. That's fantastic. You already stepped into the next bullet point of, of this video, <laughs> which is, quote unquote, most sites should work without JavaScript. E yes. I mean, no, I, it's complicated. I think I agree with you that, for instance, like a newspaper, hmm. a newspaper should be like a damn paper newspaper. Like you should just load a blank HTML, some text on it, which is the, the article and you're done. But nowadays you go to the Guardian, BBC, whatever it is, and it's just, you know, videos playing, ads, and everything is just JavaScript everywhere, the, the, the famous paywalls, and then it's it's the complete opposite of what it should be. Just load the article and you're done. I agree, but uh, this is um, the paradox of the, the hammer paradox. I don't know if that's the official name of it, but basically is that when you have a hammer, everything, every problem seems like a, a nail. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you yeah. try to use the hammer in such a way, and this the same thing happens with development. If you learn how to develop um, websites using JavaScript, you think that it it has to be used every single time, and that is not true. I mean, there are times that uh, that uh, that you do need JavaScript, especially when you're trying to build like highly interactive applications or things that are very um, app-like. But then a lot of the sites that we work that you go to, uh, they don't really need JavaScript, and you should try. I think that. For these, you should try to make it work without JavaScript as much as possible, but you should not worry about uh, about not being able to work without JavaScript. The reality of the web today is that we can work without uh, JavaScript. In the previous episode, I told you that, for example, there are, on my phone, I try to navigate precisely because of, of the limitations of speed. I try to navigate without JavaScript because I try to download only things that, that I need to read. And most of the websites that I visit are websites that, that um, don't need JavaScript really. And I hate it when I find a website that does that. It's like, oh, you don't have JavaScript and you cannot use it, but I just want to read an article. What, what do you mean I need JavaScript? Yeah. No, I think you're totally right. We need to re-educate like, the new developers at the start with boot camps and stuff where, okay, let's build a website and then they will quickly do new React application or new view app and they use a the CLI to just bootstrap a web application with JavaScript that, hey, you don't even know <laughs> what the website is about and you're already doing a full-on SPA uh, framework, right? So so maybe just, you know, start with HTML as we did in the last episode and enhance. So I totally agree with you, man. Um, next bullet one, point. 
yeah, no, I don't, wait, wait. I just I would like to to go back to this, and it sure. does uh, move on to the next uh, uh, point that he talked about, which is, um, at, in, during this part of the of the talk, he says that, uh, for example, he talks about techniques like server side rendering. Right. Mm-hmm. For me, things like server side rendering are just um, fixes to problems that didn't exist before you created <laughs> a tool. You know, it's like oh, uh, we, we create SPAs, and suddenly you have an issue that you solve with server-side rendering, which was like, oh, you wouldn't have this issue if you didn't use an SPA, for example. And this does, I have mixed feelings about this because um, on one hand, we already have a way uh, to, 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 we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel just to find, to fix problems that we ourselves are creating. We already have a very established way uh, of working with it's creating websites. But then on the other hand, I think that it's not bad to uh, challenge the way that we work, try to find new new ways to, because in the end, what we're doing is we're producing software, we're producing websites, and I find it interesting to start creating um, or challenging the way that we work. And maybe maybe it's not that bad uh, to to have to reinvent the wheel sometimes just to make it work better. I don't know if that makes no, <laughs> no, no. Sense. I mean, absolutely. I think innovation is necessary. Like, and especially in the front-end world where, yes, a new framework every three weeks. But I think innovation is good because then we, we need to challenge ourselves, see if okay, what we did 10 years ago, does it still work? For me, it's funny that we go back to the origin, right? Mm-hmm. So we start with just, you know, maybe an Apache server and then PHP or whatever, and then you would just deliver static HTML, of course, server side render. Now we went to full John JavaScript, and now they said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." Maybe ten years ago we were not super wrong. Mm. So now, as you said, we go back to <laughs> server side render as much as possible, so it's mm. faster, right? Yes. Um, and yeah, and, and, and the next bullet point is precisely this. He says that multi-page applications are dead, and I don't agree at all. Like, mm. I mean, for certain use cases, sure. Like again, if you're talking about a web application or a dashboard where there's a bunch of JavaScript and adding client-side routing is just adding 20 kilobytes. Just sure, do client-side routing and then you have an, a single page application, no page loads, everything is already loaded. It's fantastic. Hmm. But for all that like regular marketing websites where you have you know image component, text component, and just one carousel, right? It doesn't make any sense for me to install a, a whole framework or a whole client routing when just changing pages with a you know, a server behind it, it just works fantastic and, and it's fast. So I, I don't agree. No, I, I, I'm I with you in this sense, but um, my the way that I would go, I, I don't know if this was just to, to, to be a little bit of a, uh, you know, to say something controversial. Just to, Maybe, it could to, be, could be. Could be. Because in the end, once again, they, there's no saying that MPAs are dead and you need, and only SPAs should, should keep on living. That means that there's this one solution that would uh, cover all use cases. And that is not true. The web, that's one of the fantastic things about the web, that there's so many uses. The, the, the imagination is the limit. We have things from very simple text-based uh, pages to something that is super, super, super complex. And, and let's not forget about uh, accessibility and this kind of stuff. But in any case, I think that SPAs serve a specific purpose and MPAs serve another specific purpose. And they're not necessarily um, in, in conflict. You can do um, an SPA, an MPA, or I think that Richard Harris called it some time ago, a transitional app, uh, which is something like in, in the middle between one or the other. Not entirely sure about the, the, the term. But in any case, I think that 
you need to know how, what's the philosophy between one, what's the philosophy between the other, find what what are you trying to build and then choose which one it is the one that you want to go to. But yeah, it, it felt like this argument was very like biased or very like scope mm. to certain mm. like a web application. Like you were talking about Google Calendar, you're talking about mm. Gmail, right? Of course, those are web applications that of course they should be sort of uh, single pitch applications and no, no pitch loading in between them and all those things. But when it comes to you know, the other 80% of websites in the world, I mean, JavaScript, going back to what he said before, that maybe zero JavaScript, all those <laughs> things, right? Um, so for me, it's, I know, it's, it's yeah. Um, what else is here? Uh, next bullet point, um, just for FYI, for those listening, we have skipped some of these histics that we didn't have much opinion on, we didn't want to uh, go into deep. So if you see that we're going to talk about everything, just... FYI, I, I before we, we we move to the well, I think it's it's a little bit related to, again to the topic that we're going to talk about uh, right now. Mm -hmm. But um, one thing that I I think that um, we maybe also should challenge the, the 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 once again not only the way that we build things, but we also challenge the tools of the technology that we're using to build these things. Uh, right now, the web browser has uh, its own limitations, but um, I think based on the the things that we need. Them do, or the things that we're doing on, on web browsers and how we're pushing um, the the things that we can do there. Maybe we should adapt or add addition, additional features to to a web browser. Maybe a features that would allow us to, for example, let's say you have an SPA. You know, if you have a let's say a website that it's a a, a newspaper, and you're navigating there, you're reading a, a one article and you want to go to the next article, and usually like. If we don't, we're not using JavaScript or anything fancy. If you click on the article, the page loads completely. And one of the things that uh, that uh, he was arguing against the MPAs was that um, you have to reload everything. You have to reload all the the containers. You know, the header, the footer, or, or all the, the rest of the can, these kind of things. One solution is to use, for example, without going as full SPA, just using simple um, things like AJAX and just bring the the article that you that you need. And you just replace the the the, the location of the article. And the, but we're using JavaScript in in order to do like okay, I need only one part of the a page. I use JavaScript, and the backend needs to be prepared for this, or maybe not. We can maybe solve it in the front end. But what if we think about okay, I know that I have this template, and I use it over several pages. How about when I click on a link, and I only want to to return part of the page? because that's the only part that I'm going to refresh. I go to the server and I say, hey, I would like this next URL, but if possible, only this section. And that the browser, that the server actually responds returning only that section and the browser itself without any JavaScript updates that area of your page that has a very specific ID with what it got, you know? Yeah, but I mean, you can even go simpler. In the end, he doesn't mention any caching at all. And, and you can you could be super aggressive when it comes to asset caching, right? So JavaScript is cached in the browser. Just see that it's cached in the browser. Sure, when you load the next page, you will have a repaint of the whole thing, but you probably will not download any new asset. So you will have all the JavaScript, you have all the CSS. Okay, you will download images for the article and the actual HTML. So in, I mean, how slow can that be? I mean, if you, sure, you have servers on the edge, CDNs everywhere, it's not slow. So for me, I, I don't see a problem. I mean, I agree with you that browsers need to keep pushing for more like front-end magic to like, you know, mm. WebAssembly now and all those things on the web. And then it's crazy and it's good. Um, but, but also go back to the origin, go back to the origin of, you know, 
cache everything aggressively and just download a small HTML. I mean, well, Amazon is super fast once it's load, you load it the first time. Right. You load it the first time, it's a bit slow. But after that, every time that you go there, I usually find myself typing, um, hitting enter, and then looking away and looking back. And I get surprised, like, oh, the page is already loaded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, I mean, and they have, of course, AWS, and probably they have a, a data center in your basement. So, uh, <laughs> country, right? So, in the in the end, the latency to your to, the, to your server to the edge is super super fast. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it can be done. Right? It, it can be done. Uh, no, no SPAs. And look at Amazon. I mean, it's one, one of the top uh, brands in the world. We'll talk more about Amazon later mm-hmm. on the next next bullet points. Okay. So next, it's uh, he says that code should run close to the user. In the sense that uh, we shouldn't be sending stuff to the server when it's not necessary, that we should process as much data as possible in the front end. And so the, the, the UI or the interactions are very snappy, very fast, very responsive. If you click a button, you shouldn't have to wait for the server to respond you with something. But if possible, make it all in the front end and make it mm. more, more, more fast overall. Well, that sounds a lot like uh, an SPA. You know? In the end, that's what, that's what the philosophy that, that, that he's aiming for, in a way. That bring everything to the to the browser and let the browser do all. I mean, in the end, it's loading a full application in your web browser. And right now, I don't know, but right now we the computer, especially because we're talking about uh, phones, uh, 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 portable devices that are not as powerful as a desktop and are not as fast. The connection is not as fast as a desktop. And also, we have places uh, in the world that do not have. Latest technology or latest uh, connection uh, connections, web speeds, or so on and so forth, and um, you simply cannot do this yet. Maybe in the future, maybe this is something that you could uh, aim for, but right now, I I I I, I'm, I don't agree. Uh, yeah, and his examples were a little bit fishy because he was showing that uh, okay, GitHub when you type your comment and then you preview the comment, the comment. Is written in Markdown that is sent to the server to return HTML so you see the preview. And sure, there are front end libraries that can render Markdown in the front end, but then you have to send them to the client and you have to download them. So it's sometimes it's a trade off between, okay, do I send more kilobytes of JavaScript to the end user or I just do an HX request and wait for the user for one second and, until hmm. I, he sees the results? That, that, that's interesting. Um, well, going to the SPAs and MPAs, back to Amazon uh, hmm. topic. You buy an Amazon, I buy an Amazon every week for sure. When you go to a detail page and you click the big yellow button on the on the right side that says add to cart, what happens? There's a full page load. It's it, there's no Ajax, there's no um, on on behind magic stuff. I mean, I'm surprised that Amazon, with all their data science and experts and, and, and UX and UI, they chose this approach that when you are on a detail page and you click add to cart, it goes to another page. So maybe it's maybe it's not that bad if they use it, right? No, no, they they must know what the, what they're doing, and as you said, uh, they're probably using just a very aggressive caching um, approach so that they can do this kind of thing. You've already loaded all you maybe that you need to load and boop, go. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I, I've seen that in in some listings, there's Ajax requests where you add to cart and it immediately shows to the cart, hmm. but but on the on the main detail page, at least for Amazon.es on the Spain side. It, it's a full page reload, and, and I was and I was uh, surprised to if they do it. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe they maybe they know. There's a reason. Yes. Um, on things making the web faster. Uh, next bullet point on his video is build steps are good. Do you like build systems, Chucho? 
I hate build systems. <laughs> okay, so so it's me, it's me and Rich Harris against Chucha. Okay, okay. No, 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 no. You 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 misunderstand me. I hate build systems, but I think that they're necessary. But ah, here's the key point. Yes, um, totally. I mean, fight me any any day, anywhere. But I think build systems are super necessary, right? Um, even inside projects. I mean, in my case, when I build something small and there's just a small JavaScript, I always drop in like ES build. ES build is super fast. It's super simple. It's just a one liner in my package JSON and one liner in the command. No config files, no anything, and I get free minification, free three, sh three shaking, and it, it's just fantastic. So I do love um, build systems. doesn't have to always be Webpack. I know Webpack is a pain and it's super hard to configure, but but yeah, I mean, minifying locally and serving less JavaScript or less CSS, why not? And not only that, but it's also development. It's part of the development. It's, it's and depending on how you build in the, your end product, it can be part of, of the, the, the development process. Like for example, um, if you're working with, I don't know if we've talked about post CSS and the things that you can do with it, but in the end, for example, you can build or create a lot of plugins that can modify your code in order to, um, when the, the, the deliverable code is something um, that you don't need to worry about while, while you're developing. So I think it's a very important part of development. It can add a lot of value. It can, add, it can simplify development itself for people. You don't have to worry about that. For example, uh, a very simple example would be besides minification and this kind of thing, is, is a CSS support to certain browsers. Uh, you can just let that be handled by the build system that, okay, I'll just write normal CSS, standard CSS, and the build system will know, oh, oh, you're trying to use this. Well, you know, Edge doesn't support it, or well, I don't know, this browser doesn't really support it yet, so I'm going to add the prefixes and this kind of things, but you don't really have to worry about it. It's one less... Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you remember back in when autoprefixer didn't exist and you had to remember, okay, this is a MOS prefix, yes. this is a MS prefix, yes. a WebKit, and now it's, it's, I mean, for years we haven't had to do that, do that so it's, it's fantastic. Same with JavaScript, right? You can write the latest and greatest ES2022 mm. and then have Babel just transpile it to whatever browsers you need to support, right? And, and it's there. I think uh, with anything, like the same with what we talk about frameworks and knowing how to code, you also need to know what you're doing with the build system mm. because you can over-engineer. You can just say, yes, on every commit, fire 3,000 types of validations and checkings, and you have the servers just consuming carbon and just doing stuff for no reason at all. So just mm. know what you're doing, know how, when to apply the, the build system, but yes, probably, probably have it. Oh, and this is one of the topics that, as, as you said, I don't, well, I've mentioned I don't like build <laughs> systems, but I think that they're very important. And especially, there's a lot of benefit that you can get from them with very little uh, effort yeah. on your side. Agreed. Agreed. And the last bullet point on his his video uh, is none of this matters. He talks about <laughs> AI. He says that we should just enjoy developing websites <laughs> while we can. And, and, I've, and I've noticed that we haven't tackled any AI and code helpers or anything related uh, on this podcast before. So should we? Well, I think we should, but... In in a way, I we haven't talked about this because I at least the way that I feel is every week you have something new. Every other week you you, you learn something that now they're doing this, now they're doing that. We were talking just this this precise week where we're talking about new a new website that it helps. Uh, it, it's not ChatGPT, but something else that helps you as that is oriented specifically for developers. Like you look for it and it gives you solutions not only um, based on the the information they have, but it also looks in other websites. And 
I mean, for sure, AI is going to be here uh, to stay. Uh, there's things that you need that we need to to learn. Like, for example, uh, prompting is going to be something. Prompting. Oh my goodness! I thought yes. you were going to say like ethics of coding or things yep. like that. No, prompting. Just you know, just <laughs> learn how to prompt. Yes, I think it's going to be a, a, an important tool. Just. Uh, the same as learning how to search for the solutions that one yeah. because this is something Agreed. that we do. And mm -hmm. I think prompting is also going to be something that we're going to do, especially uh, as AIs become more part of the development process. Just like build systems, for example, AI could be part of, even part of built a build system in the future. I don't know. It, it is wild what's happening in the development world. I don't think that it doesn't matter. I know that he, he mentioned this as a controversial point. Yeah. But it's worth going deep into this i mean this is a, a very interesting topic okay then i'll tell you what let's do that for the <laughs> one of the following episodes i think mm -hmm. on the time of the writing on the same day we're recording this we there's a google io happening so probably we'll have more ai stuff so yeah mm -hmm. let, let's do an episode on, on status quo what you can do with with ai and code, code like stuff it. code copilots and yeah um we're done we're through Choo -choo. Mm -hmm. okay, christmas coffee man uh thank you so much Thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> was swallowing the, the coffee, sorry. <laughs> it's more than fine, man. I'll see you in the next fun and coffee break. See you in the next coffee break. Bye.